to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Since losing her two-year-old son to cancer, Laurie Singer has devoted the rest of her life to the field of mental health. Licensed psychotherapist, board-certified behavior analyst, and author of You're Not Crazy, Living with Anxiety, Obsessions, and Fetishes, published in April 2021. Laurie helps us identify triggers and the steps to overcome anxiety and its manifestations, particularly those which have been exacerbated by the pandemic. She's particularly adept at discussing mental health issues that are deeply seated, that often take hold in childhood, as well as responses to current societal conditions. She takes a deep dive in what's known as anticipatory anxiety, where a person feels great anxiety around things they can't necessarily control, such as wildfires, climate change, and even the ongoing process of the pandemic and political unrest. Laurie is also an endurance athlete, which I think is amazing. Listen to this. Having made running 100-mile races nearly routine, which I can't even believe, and completing 28 ultra marathons, okay, she's totally my hero, of 31 miles or longer. She's a three-time Ironman competitor, and in 2017 was even recognized for her accomplishments as an inductee into the Ventura County Sports Hall of Fame. Laurie, this is incredible. Welcome to Momnificent. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, Karen. I'm very excited to be here. So the reason why I got so excited when I heard of all your accomplishments as running is because I set a challenge to do a 5K, which I was like, woohoo, I did. And then I did a 10 mile and my next is a half marathon and I'm still on that trajectory (laughs) of a goal. So when I look at you, I'm like, oh man, she did it. Like (laughs) she's my hero. So you inspire me. Thank you. That half marathon is a great distance. I think that is a, it's a good distance to do. You'll enjoy that. Yeah, so that's my next goal. Um, and Laurie, where are you enjoying Momnificent from today? I am living right now in Oxnard, California. It's on the coast. Uh, we just got a tsunami warning yesterday. Oh, yes, but we're but we're fine. But it's almost like okay, what's next? <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. And almost now you look at it, and you're like, oh, okay, because like what else could be is going to go, you know, wrong. Um, so on the flip side, this is a really I just love this question, Laurie. What's one thing you've done recently? that maybe you have or you haven't done for a while that just brings you joy? So I was thinking about that. What have I done recently? You know, every morning I just look forward to going to for a run or going for a hike and today, and spending time with my grandkids. That's really important. Family's very important to me. So today we're, my husband and I are gonna take them to this Jurassic Park exhibit. So I'm very excited and looking forward to that this afternoon. Um, oh, that's so fun. I love that. Oh, that just makes me smile. So Laurie, now switching gears, how has the pandemic, I'm just going to jump right in. How has the pandemic, uh, from your perspective, from the work that you're doing, impacted mental health in regards to family, friends, and work? 
oh, it's, I, you know, I don't want to be a downer, but I have to say that it's taken its toll on everybody. Uh, initially, it seemed like we were just trying to hold everybody together, you know, in 2020, like we did, we didn't know it was going to last this long. And so we just jumped right in, we gave them the support. I, um, I have my own company where I have a contract with the County of Ventura. And so that contract provides services to individuals with developmental disabilities. All their services got put on hold except for ours. So they couldn't go, the adults couldn't go to day programs. The kids couldn't go to school. So you have these moms now that have other children in the house and they're trying to run um, a Zoom class with the child with developmental disabilities that gets no social skills, that doesn't have their paraeducator with them. And I was, I was at one of my client's homes who has um, a first grader uh, on the spectrum and just a lot of energy. And the teacher was telling the mom, you know, you have to have him sit in the chair in order for us to conduct this classroom. And I was thinking, how could she tell the mom this? There's so much pressure on the mom and she's got a one and a half year old running around. It was just, you know, that's only one example. Then we have the adults who now don't go to day programs. We had one who was so, uh, she was so depressed from the anxiety that she jumped out a window and now she's paralyzed from the waist down. So it, and then I have, so that's, that's my part of it. So I see this end of it. Then I have some friends who are retired. It hasn't changed their life at all. They don't even know what's happening on the other side. Yeah. And so it's a bit frustrating to me because I try to tell them, you need to see what's happening as a whole, our population as a whole, and not just how it's affecting you because your life hasn't changed. Right. Yeah. And um, even in the schools, like we were just, I would just pick up the phone and say to a parent, like, how are you? How is your family? What can I do to support you? Before I even got to the point of why hasn't your kid been on Zoom the last three days? You know what I mean? Like it, it shifted how I responded, interacted, and I had to take and come from the preference of I have no idea what that person is going through. And it could be something, and usually it was, there's was always a story. And I really had to encourage my staff to say, find out the story before we start judging for things they're not showing up for. They're not doing this. Because there was a plethora of things we could point the finger at. But, but I think, and, and like you said, it's like, we thought that would just be for a time. And it's like two years later, I'm still picking up the phone. Like, are you okay? Can I come pick up your child for school? Are they feeling okay? Like I'm still And it. Last year was really difficult. And this year is even just, it even feels like five, 10 times more difficult on the teachers and staff. So you're right. It's amazing. The different pockets of where people live and exist of circles of their life, they are, they aren't impacted by this um, and trying to work and hold a job and manage your kid on online at the same time has just, I mean, my hat goes off to every parent it's right now. It's taken its toll on a lot of people. It's taken its toll. And I, um, I, I think that it's interesting because in, uh, when the new school year came in 2020, I, people were starting to like day programs in school were starting to get the hang of it a little bit better. I think, you know, oh, we need to do this. We need to drop off packets of work at the homes or we need to. So they were trying to get ready for that. Um, and then everybody was excited about going back to school 
and to the day programs or to their work sites. Actually, some weren't excited about going back to the work site, but, uh, you know, so that that was taking place and there was new rules and regulations. Um, and and uh, but then again, now we have this new variant and that's where I think we're getting more anxiety back again. Um, it's it just it's a, and and people who initially weren't affected and didn't have any anxiety initially from it. After six or nine months went on, I was seeing more students who were in high school, seniors in high schools were graduating, and then some in college and some college students who were graduating, who now it then impacted their life. You know, now I'm I'm going into college for the first time and I really didn't have a senior year or I'm graduating from college and I had all these plans for how I was going to move my career forward. And it's 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 difficult for them. I feel for them yeah. and try to get them to think positive and write them a plan and all of this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel for them because I know and, they're struggling. And just in the last three months, Laurie, I know three first-year teachers, not even done their first year of teaching, already put in their resignation letter and have found other jobs in different fields. Laurie, I've never seen this. So, yeah. Yeah, people are leaving. They're leaving their jobs. They're so hard to, um, it's so hard to find people. Um, I've been very fortunate with my staff, you know, that, that none of them have really left although we do need more people and we're interviewing, we're getting more, but uh, it's tough. It's really, it's really, really tough to keep people. And it's tough being a business owner, especially I have to stay right. in the state of California because the, the uh, regulations for small business is changing all the time. Wow. And to help to keep up with that is exhausting. Right. Yeah. 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 So, Laurie, what would you say, I mean, parents are dealing with more anxiety than ever before, but now their child maybe was or now is exhibiting and displaying anxious behaviors. What is your message for parents? What, what's, what's the takeaway of something? Well, what I say is because I do have a lot of parents reaching out to me. And um, one parent who, you know, who stands out in my mind in particular is, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was 2020 or 2021. I'm kind of getting the years mixed up now with this pandemic. But she was very concerned. Um, it was a, a divorced family. Both parents were very involved. Um, the mom was a dispatcher for the police department and the dad actually was a teacher. And they split custody. And the mom called me in a panic because she said that she found these drawings from her 10-year-old son that said had a picture of a grave and it said rest in peace and had his name on there because he was so depressed from not having any socialization and i think that you know a lot of times parents don't realize that whatever they talk about in front of their kids or if they show any type of anxiety themselves their kids are very perceptive and they can pick up on it so this young man was displaying a lot of anxiety and he was scared. And so what, what I, what I tell parents, what I, I worked on with him was that we took data to find out what the triggers are. But I, I tell parents, pay attention to what's happening. If your child is um, complaining of a stomach ache, a headache, uh, something's where they're just more withdrawn then find out what it is and be able to talk with them, have an open dialogue and don't stand for everything's fine or my day was fine. You need to dig more into it. 
and find out. And I always uh, try to get parents to talk with the teachers to see if they notice anything, because I think there should be an open communication and dialogue. It's so important because teachers, even if you're on Zoom, you're spending time with that child and the teacher's paying attention. So to have that open dialogue with the teacher is very important. And what do you do when some kids just really hide that emotion really well? And 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 what, what questions could a parent ask to kind of get deeper when their child just kind of, I don't know, when it's hard for them to talk? When a parent comes to see me and they're concerned about anxiety, then what I do first is I try to get um, a history of the child to see what, what were they like before? What are you seeing that's different now? What makes you think that there is a problem? And then I get their perspective on it. If the child's old enough, I have them take data on themselves. I have ABC data, which is antecedent behavior and consequence, which you're probably familiar with. And the parent will take it from their perspective on what they see. And then the child, if they're, if possible, they take it on their, you know, from their own perspective because they could be feeling something and holding it inside and the parent isn't able to see it like you're saying, right? The, yeah. the child can say, and for them, it might be different. Like maybe they're just confused or maybe their heart starts beating fast or they stop paying attention. We don't know what it's like for them. If they're able to tell me if I can draw it out of them by talking or if they can write it down. And it's interesting because a lot of, even if they're eight years old, nine and 10, they're still able to take data. I don't care what the spelling looks like. I don't care how big the printing is. They can take a whole page, uh, but I get that information. And then from that, I write an individualized behavioral plan. And um, that plan consists of using cognitive behavioral therapy and behavioral therapy approaches to helping their child. And I want to touch on that more in a minute. But first, let's go to your anticipatory anxiety. How does that relate to issues out of our control? Oh, when doesn't it? <laughs> You know, it seems like, well, but there's a healthy level of anticipatory anxiety. You know, with any type of anxiety, there's a there's a healthy level. And then there's the other level where when do we know that there's a problem? Yeah. Tell us that. Right. So I think, um, you know, an example that we can use for that is uh, we have a mass mandate, then we don't have a mass mandate, then we have a mass mandate, then we don't have one. And one of uh, one of the clients says she is, uh, how old is she now? I think she's 20. She just came to see me uh, probably about nine months ago. And she started seeing me about nine months ago. And um, she was, the mask mandate was lifted in California for a while. Once we got the two vaccines and you didn't have to wear a mask. And so she still felt anxious when going in somewhere, even though there was no mask mandate, she was anxious about not wearing a mask what people would say or what they, how they would look at her. So it's at she would have a panic attack before walking into a Starbucks just because she was so afraid of how people would perceive her and the dirty look she would get or, or whatever it might be. So that's unhealthy when you're causing yourself a panic attack before you walk into a Starbucks. Um, but if you're just a little apprehensive and nervous about the situation, that's different. Mm -hmm. Now, if we would stop ourselves completely from going into any coffee shop or any uh, any um, location in our community because we're afraid of how people will look at us or what they will say to us, then we have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Then it becomes debilitating mm -hmm. when it starts to affect your life 
where you're, you're isolating yourself, you're not going out in the community, you're not enjoying life anymore because you're worried about something that hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, and how many times do we worry? What do they say, like 50 or more percent of the time, the things we worry about never even happen. That's crazy. When you think of that, it's like, why live there in my thoughts? But it, it's, a, it's a thought, it's a choice. Yeah. And it's interesting because when the people come to see me, uh, they think that they're so unique in that I have this problem and, and this is what my problem and I'm, and I'm very embarrassed about this. It's what if this happens, the what if statements that haven't occurred and they just keep replaying that over, over in their mind. And I try to try to normalize it as well. You know, you're not alone in this. A lot of people like yourself are, are, going, they have that, those negative thoughts inside their head constantly. And that's, what's causing a lot of angst. So my goal is to help them stop those negative thoughts and try to focus on the positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's just a thought and a thought can be changed. And whatever you focus on, you're going to get more of and wherever you think is where your energy is going to flow. So I can either spend my energy wondering if I have teachers tomorrow to cover the classes. And what if I don't? And all of a sudden I'm I'm getting anxious and I'm losing energy or I choose to wake up in the morning at 615 and I look at the sub list and I just say, how am I going to make this work today? Those are two very different approaches with the same situation in front of in front of me. So is there like a takeaway or maybe a first step you share with parents of something they can do when their child is experiencing anxiety that maybe someone listening could? So my, yes, and in my, and even in my book. So uh, what I like to do is I try to, I try to empower people and let them know that you can actually stop your thoughts, your negative thoughts. And I use the, um, I use a signal, I call it the signal plan. And it's like, it's just a signal on the street. Red means stop, yellow means make a choice and green means go. And so I say, once you get a negative thought in your head, you have to say, okay, red, stop. I'm gonna stop whatever I'm thinking. Yellow, I'm gonna make a healthy choice. Green, I'm gonna take a deep breath and then move on. Uh, but they have to practice. So when somebody comes to my office, I write them a very individualized, specific plan. So from the data that I gathered, written data and data during our sessions, I write what a motivational story. And that motivational story they're supposed to read in the morning, kind of like you said, set the tone for the day. And then they have to practice the signal plan throughout the day, changing their thoughts, because it's just like running a race. You can't sign up for a half marathon if you haven't practiced. So I expect my clients to practice and they have to record when they practice Mm. so that in the moment when they're, when they're starting to get that anxious feeling and they can start to identify what that feeling is, they can stop themselves and make a choice. Mm. You can't show up for a half marathon without practicing and they can't expect to stop some anxiety or panic attack if they haven't practiced what they're given. So it's very important to practice. No, exactly, because you're retraining. It's become a habit the way you have been thinking, and now you have to retrain yourself, and over time, that muscle will get stronger. It will, and it becomes automatic. And it's interesting because the the principle behind um, what I use is so basic that 
some of the clients that come in to see me, because I've had physicians, I've had pilots, I've had, you know, uh, very intelligent people. And they say, well, this is pretty basic. I don't know how this is going to work. And I say, you know what, you have to just believe me that if you practice, this will work, but you have to do it. And so they do, and it works. And they have a positive outcome. And like you said, it becomes natural. Now it doesn't, initially you have to keep practicing until it does become natural, but once it does and it becomes intrinsic that they can just do it, they don't need the visuals uh, because I do make visuals. I make, I laminate stop, you know, signal cards for them. I, uh, I laminate um, stay calm, think positive so they can put it throughout their house. I give them a keychain with a little boat keychain that they can squeeze it So it's a replacement behavior, just different things for them to remind them to use their new learned strategies. Hey there, it's Karn. I hope that you're enjoying the show. And by the way, if you're a mom who wants to learn how to help your child when they're struggling behaviorally or facing challenges in school, get started today by getting my free short video course, Three Steps to Happy Healthy Kids at www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in learning how to have a happy, healthy life with your kids. So head on over to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video and grab your free gift today. And what would you say are other ways to identify the triggers that cause that emotional distress and some steps maybe to overcome that? Well, you know, each person is different. And I think that uh, it's it's hard until you start to look for the trigger. If you're actually looking for a trigger, either you're going to find it or a family member. And I like to get the family members involved, at least initially, especially in the data collection part, because like I said, they might see maybe somebody who normally talks a lot and then is gets very quiet and they can say, Oh, they they Zoom class just started and, you know, their school just started. They were going to do math and they got very quiet or they said they had a stomach ache, whatever it is that they're they're doing. And the 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 child may not even recognize that they're doing it. And so the parent has to. But I think family having a support group is extremely important and also getting the teachers involved. If it does have something to do with school. Uh, get the teachers involved. So true, because sometimes I'm telling you, Laurie, like at school, we get the host of problems, and yet we all look at each other some moments, and we're like, we don't feel like we're the experts here, but we're the ones dealing with the problem day in and day out. It's interesting, which is one reason why I love this podcast, because I've met incredible authors and speakers and and um, different therapists and doctors. And one lady out of Florida, an ADHD, she has a clinic and what have you, she offered me just 10 hours of sitting down one hour at a time, anytime over the years, with a teacher who might be just stressed out. I don't know what to do with this kid. I've tried everything and I don't know. Like we get to that point as educators and sometimes I feel like people look at us more like we should be the experts and I'm like, I, I need to go back to school <laughs> to become a child psychologist to understand these kids and, and help guide my team some at some days. So yes, it is so, so true. People like you are so valuable to us in the schools because we we need that help. And I tell the parents, you know, if I'm working, when I work with kids, which I do, I mean, I have clients that from three years old to 78 years old, 
Can you believe that range? It's amazing. Three. Um, So I tell the parents, once we introduce a plan, I say, let's have a meeting with the school. Now we need to, uh, now we need to show them what we're doing at home. Thank you. So that they can reinforce we do. what we're doing here. We need it. And, and so they're like, well, I don't know if I, some of them are like, I don't know if I want to get this school involved. Yes, you want to get the school involved. Please. This is what you want to do. You have yes. to have a dialogue going, some type of a communication going that way. Now, another thing when you ask what can parents do, um, you have to have a replacement behavior. So if they're, if they're exhibiting anxiety and you see them fidgeting with their hands, you know, get get something that they can squeeze, do something that, you know, an incompatible behavior. Uh, but also I say, praise the positive. As you know, I'm sure you know that, you know, positive reinforcement like- and don't, yes. And don't dwell on the negative. And I tell parents, I don't like to give advice right away because I want to collect the data first. But I do say one thing I will tell you, when you tuck your child in bed at night, Name one positive thing you like that they did, no matter how difficult the day was, because they're going to go to bed knowing what it is that you like that they did. And how great is that to go to sleep knowing that? Yeah. What do they say? Seven positive for every like criticism you give. That's hard. (laughs) But there's a lot, a lot of truth in that. And we have to keep working towards that because then they internalize it and then and then they they lose their self-confidence and like things just spiral down from there. So, yeah, I mean, kids can have difficult, difficult times, but I love that point that you made. So I know you have a different process than most therapists. What would you say and how would you describe how unique and how different your process is? Well, I think what, what sets me apart is there, there probably is a couple therapists, although I don't think there's many that use the two modalities together, the behavioral and the cognitive behavioral. And, um, so the, the, you know, as we talked about the cognitive behaviorals, how do we stop those what if statements in our head that are causing us so much anxiety, the negative self-talk. So that's one part of it. And then the other part is the behavioral aspect of it. Uh, how do we change our environment to change our behavior? And that's putting up the visuals and um, practicing using the motivational story. I give a binder. So if you were to come and see me, you would take the data I would write an individual behavioral plan for you. You know, I would write a motivational story. I would expect you. And then I have a, a weekly calendar that I'm making you accountable. Okay, you have to read this in the morning and you're going to initial or make a check. You have to read it. You practice your signal plan during the day. And then if you get a negative thought in your head, did you use the strategy? Yes or no? Did it work? So you're continuing to see if it works. And, and then I also use the thought versus reality, which I think is a good uh, worksheet as well. How, how does that work? Yeah. How, explain that. So if, yeah. So what it would be is um, let's use the math situation going into a Starbucks for an example, right? So uh, what happened? I was getting ready to go into Starbucks and what is your opinion? Well, my opinion is I should be able to go in without a mask, without having people stare at me. And then what is the reality of all that? What is the reality of this negative dialogue that's going on with you? The reality is there's no mask mandate anymore. It's okay if I walk in. If somebody looks at me, I can just nod and say hello. That's the reality of it, right? And then do they write what actually happened? Because if they if if they notice that they built all of this stuff up and then what really happened, actually nobody looked at me at that, for example, possibly at that time, that, that helps to like... 
I don't know what you call it, further validate or teach you that, wow, that thought really was just a thought. It wasn't real. Right. So it's getting you to look at the irrational thoughts like, oh, that was an irrational thought. That's not really reality. It's not, you know, it's irrational. And so I need to get rid of that thought. And it gets you to, to think that way more in your head. Like, oh, is this a rational thought? I think it is. Okay. I'm all right. <laughs> and then move forward. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't think that they can actually change a thought in their head. And so giving them that to empower them and say, look at you're making progress because you're sitting here with me in the office. You want to move forward. You want to get unstuck in your life. Yeah. And so it's just like, Hey, that's right. I do want to do that. So it's kind of just being there almost kind of like a coach in a way. Um, but I'm also very solution focused. I tell people, listen, I, I want to help you, but my goal is to give you the tools that you need. So you don't have to come back and see me anymore. I want you to be able to generalize whatever you learn in each environment so that you can do this on your own. I have, you know, I've been doing this for, I don't even know, like over 20 years and throughout the years, people will see me for a while and then they don't see me and they may come back a couple of years later and say, I'm having this problem again. And then I'll say, okay, let's talk about what's happening. And are you using your strategies? More than likely, no. Um, because things were going well for a while. And so we just kind of have to jumpstart things. Yeah. An interesting thing happened yesterday. Uh, I was at a social gathering. Um, unfortunately, it was a memorial, but I had somebody walk up to me and he said, you're not going to remember me, but 16 years ago, you came into our home and you helped our family with my sister. And I just want to thank you. Oh and I thought, wow, this is, this is why we do this, it right? Is. To change Laurie, people's life. For that's what's worth waking up every day, no matter how difficult or challenging. Wow, totally. And he even remembered, I mean, amazing, yeah. really amazing. That's so sweet. It is rewarding. And sometimes you don't see it in the moment and it, it over time. And we don't know. We don't know those ripple effects that we have impacted people that sometimes come back and we know and sometimes we don't. But that's really sweet. Wow. So lastly, how does your book, You're Not Crazy, <laughs> I love that title, help someone suffering from anxiety and mental health concerns, particularly those which have been exacerbated by the devastating pandemic? Like, what do they find in there? I think you've got some unique things that you offer in your book. Well, the book has um, six different case studies, and they're actually real cases that I've worked with, and they're very interesting. And most of them are based off of anxiety. They've just taken a different route in a way, if you will. Um, One of them in particular is social anxiety. And I think that a lot of people, because of the pandemic now, are suffering from social anxiety. And I think because well, um, this would be my guess, is that because we were told, okay, go do it. No, don't do it. Okay, now you can have Christmas. No, you can't have Christmas. Uh, Go out to New Year's. No, you can't have New Year's. So there's a lot of anxiety uh, from the pandemic alone. And and this book will help because it'll help put things in perspective. And everything is in there. There's a workbook in the back where it has the data sheets that I use. It has everything. It has the data sheets. It has fill in the blanks to how to write your own motivational story. Um, It has the visuals in there. So it would be the reason why I I wrote the book in the first place was because I work with a lot of physicians in the area that refer clients to me. 
mainly skin pickers because skin picking is an OCD behavior, obsessive compulsive disorder, and it can be horrendous. I mean, just awful. And with the pandemic, more people are engaging in self-injurious behavior like skin picking, and it just can, it can mutilate somebody really. so, uh, <laughs> you, so you added those resources in the book, which I love because I could hand that to my school counselors. We could hand that out to the school counselors across the district. Like this oh, is yes, like definitely. an awesome tool. Thank you. That's right. So that's where I was going. So the physician said, you know, Lori, you should really write a book because you're really helping people. And I get referrals all the time. Uh, some of them, I just say, okay, we have to wait. We have, I, and I hate making people wait because... I always feel that people come to me when they're in a crisis. So I want to be able to help them. But uh, this book will help. You know, it will help with that. It's 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 as if you were to come into my office. And even when I go through the case studies, I explain what they are. And then it, it, it says, this is what it looked like when they came into my office. And this was the outcome of some of the cases. So I think that that's pretty interesting as well. That's awesome. I am going to share that uh, with everyone I know because we we always and are looking for please utilize for a tool. the tools in it. Yes, use it with your Oh, staff. this is awesome. Yes, exactly. And with the parents and with other school counselors across the district. So, um, Laurie, where can someone find and follow you? They can follow me. Uh, well, you can look up uh, you're not crazy book.com is is for my book or Lori Singer Behavioral Services. And there's different links to Facebook and Instagram and I don't know what else. Well, like I said, when we started the episode, I followed you on all your social media platforms because I love the work that you're doing. And it's so encouraging and it's a message and you have supports that are really needed right now. Um, And so I I just want to thank you. It's I'm so I feel so valued that you came on this podcast to share your message and if it can help even one more parent, um, I'm just, I'm really excited and grateful that for that. Thank you. Well, Karen, I have to tell you when you reached out to me and I saw that you were a principal, I thought, how lucky are these students to have you as a principal to be so involved and to trying to find ways to help the, your staff and your students. It's just incredible, really. Yeah, well, every person I meet, I almost feel like they're a kindred spirit. It's the sweetest thing. Um, And so I look forward to connecting further. And if I can support you in any way, please let me know and enjoy your grandkids and your outing this afternoon. Okay, great. Thank you, Karen. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.